0: Thank you all for coming, and it's great to see all the green shirts out there this morning. As we, uh, <clears throat> oftentimes, the ministers get together, and Doug, and, and some of the elders, and we kind of plan a uh, series, and, and sermons, and topics, and scriptures, and a few months ago, uh, we decided that um, we would... Start the new year with a series from the epistle of 1 John. And I just thought it's a little bit, even though this scripture, the first chapter of 1 John, was uh, scheduled for today many months ago, here's one of the verses we'll be looking at. Verse 5 I proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So, if you were depending on Amaran or Corn Belt for your light, we saw their failure. <clears throat> or many of us did. Some of us still are. You know, I, I bet not many of you had a neighbor bring their prosthetic leg to your house to get charged up because they didn't have electricity. <clears throat> so, 21. A new start, you might say. And yet, as we read in Ecclesiastes 1, and and this is paraphrased, what is, was, and what was, is. There's nothing new under the sun. And so while we have a new start, 2021, it's really not the things we're facing, are not new at all. And so maybe that is encouraging to you, or maybe that's discouraging to you. I don't know. But I do know one thing. God's Word is relevant and powerful today. Written, the words written 2,000 years ago, and, and some of them older than that. Meaning, their meaning is perfect for us today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has been preserved and written down and is living and sharper than a two-edged sword and has the answers for today and for tomorrow. Lord, just help us to look into your word that it would speak to our hearts. It would speak to our minds, Lord. This is not something that is totally mystical. Yes, we don't understand all things in our human understanding. But your gospel speaks to the simplest minds that they can understand. Your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look into 1 John, a little background. The time John was writing this was late, probably late in life. I mean, we don't know exactly, looking at the biblical scholars and authorities. But there's very, very likely that he was the only one of the disciples still alive, and in fact, many, if not all, the Apostle Paul and many of the other early church leaders had either been martyred or died by this time. You kind of, we kind of see that in uh, in his beginning that he is uh, reinforcing that he was there. He saw it. He touched it. He heard it. And by this time, there was also many false teaching and false prophets and false and corrupted theology and doctrine that was infiltrating the church and the teachings. And one of the main ones was a, a philosophy called Gnosticism, And it was basically a philosophy, a a man-designed philosophy. The very word gnosis in Greek means knowledge, so it was a a human knowledge-based philosophy. And I'd just like to read one paragraph out of the Zondervan uh, Bible Encyclopedia. Knowledge and salvation were keynotes of much 2nd century religion. This is what people wanted from the mystery religions and explains their contemporary popularity. The Gnostic teachers sought to provide for these longings in a way which was both Christian and compatible with the basic assumptions about God and the world held by most people of the day. These assumptions might be formed by contemporary philosophy or by astrology, and in different Gnostic systems, these factors appearing in different degrees. What they had in common is a desire to be contemporary. So while this had many different branches, you might say, in false teaching and stuff, it was a human-based philosophy based on human knowledge that came into the church, and rather than the Word of God defining the culture, the culture started defining the Word of God. Relevant today. Anybody see any of that happening today? Yeah, maybe, maybe it's a different form than the Gnostics were promoting, but don't we see it? Part of this Gnosticism was that God is divine, so how could he be a part of this corrupt world? Kind of similar to, if God is good, how can we have all these natural disasters? How could he allow a pandemic? Much of the same arguments we hear today. So their teaching was that God was not part of this creation this the physical matter the physical bodies that that we live in every day that this creation this world the humans must have been created by a lesser god a non-perfect god and he kind of messed things up when he made this creation so we have this this creation corrupted creation and we have the divine God, and, the, and they were separate. Which came to teachings then, was that the spirit and the flesh are separate. Which took two different branches. One was, since the, the flesh and the spirit is separate, the flesh can do whatever it wants, and it doesn't affect the spirit. So live it up. Live it up. Whatever feels good, do it. Because it really doesn't matter in your relationship with God because that's separate. The other form it took was since the flesh is evil and corrupt, we have to suppress the flesh spirituality. You know, kind of like live in a dark room and eat b- dry bread live completely separate from the world to gain our spirituality. So how does John address these false teachings entering into the church? Does he sit down and argue against each one of these? No, what we see in, our, in the next few weeks, we're going to see the truth the true doctrine true theology reinforced over and over by an eyewitness Jesus Christ because the other problem was since flesh is, is corrupt and evil and God is divine Jesus couldn't have been god we just we just spent the last what four or five sermons on the incarnation of god becoming man and their philosophy where their teaching basically was that God's Spirit entered this man, Jesus, after he was baptized, and then right before his death, the Spirit departed him. So we can understand a little bit John is saying in his gospel. It starts making sense of how he opened his gospel. And again, his gospel was written way after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They'd been floating around, and John wrote from a little bit different perspective. And he opens with, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with Him. All things were made or created through Him, and without Him was not anything made." That was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 15, And John bore witness about him. 14, I'm sorry. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we keep seeing John hammering this truth of God at creation, Jesus with God, the plan from the beginning, and God became flesh and dwelled among us and suffered and paid our debt. So as we start in 1 John chapter 1, and I'd like to, uh, <clears throat> don't normally do this, but just read the first four verses out of the living Bible. I just think it's, it just flows nice and a little bit easier for us to understand. We proclaim to you, and, and I think John here is referring to, even though he's the only one left at this time of the eyewitnesses of the disciples, he's including the whole group because they all taught the same truth. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes, touched him and with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was the father, and then he... He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. John is reading as an eyewitness, as someone who experiences this Jesus was God. And he was there at the beginning, and he was there at creation. Well, What about science? Are we science deniers? If we claim that God created this earth, I mean, didn't it start out with a bang, and and then things just kind of happened by accident and randomly and formed and changed and what's the problem with with denying creation with God creating a perfect world without disease and death if God created a corrupted world then who's to blame? See, when we deny creation, we're basically saying that, God, you didn't do it right. You know, there's another science out there called mathematics. Branches of mathematics is probabilities. Run that through the science. That we're here somehow by random mutations. But see, if we go back to creation, if we go back to the Genesis account of creation, we know that God created a perfect world. But Satan tempted Adam and Eve that they could gain knowledge. The knowledge of good and evil. They could determine what was right and wrong. They decided to rebel against the Creator, and we know the results of that. We've suffered the results of that for a year. John says, don't believe anything that these false teachers are telling you. I was there. I was at the transfiguration when I saw this Jesus be glorified. I was there at the cross. I saw him drive those nails into his hands and feet. I saw the soldier jam the spear in his side. I saw the blood dripping down that I was there I was there at the empty tomb He was gone The stone was rolled away I saw his scars I saw him eat the fish I saw him walk through walls I was there And while John is saying here uh, in the first verse that we have touched with our own hands, I don't know. I was this as I was preparing. I just kind of wondered. You know, we have the account that Thomas said, "I won't believe it till I till I put my fingers in his scars." I wonder if maybe Jesus had invited John to touch those scars after his resurrection. I don't know. That's just. I thought, that's not in Scripture. And then John says, I was there when he ascended to heaven. I was there. I saw it all. And what I tell you is true. Do you believe John? Do you believe him? Christmas morning, Don Blair's sermon He kept reinforcing that belief does not require understanding. And an almighty, holy God transcends human understanding. And yet He gives us enough. He gives us enough that it's it's not unreasonable. Let us reason together. Do you believe it? And if you do, what are you doing about it? First John chapter 1 verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we cleanse, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. God is light. Our electricity went out in the late morning on Friday. It was a fr- Friday. Friday. And so we went down to Joshua Morgan's. We were going to go down there for the evening anyway. And they had electricity. And the kids were all down, grandkids were all downstairs playing. And boom, all at once the lights went out. Total darkness. And some of the little guys started crying and were scared. Do you know how much light, one flashlight, can light up the whole... Room, Maybe not brightly, but you couldn't chase the darkness out. You, know, you can't get rid of darkness. You can't, well, I'm in this darkness, I'm going to get rid of the darkness. No, the only way to get rid of darkness is turn on the light. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but as I was studying this, God is light. He's not the source of light. He is light. He is, illuminates all corners. There's no shadows. There's no, there's no dark corners. He is light. He illuminates everything. When we walk in Him, all things are illuminated. There is no dark corners. Light transcends darkness. And so what does, is John reinforcing here? He is light. And if we say we have fellowship with Him, if we're walking in darkness, we're not practicing the truth. John's saying you can't separate our physical life, our physical walk, what we're doing, our motivations, our actions. You cannot separate that from the light of God. If you claim to be in him, I don't know about you, but those are pretty that's a pretty sobering thought. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and he not in us. I don't think there's many of us who would say that we have not sinned, but how many of us justify that sin? That's not so bad. In fact, I'm not really responsible because it's my upbringing, It's, it's the environment I live in. You know, if. There was really smart drivers up there. I wouldn't struggle with road rage. It's really their fault, you know. If if I had a fair employer and a nice boss, I wouldn't slack off when they're not around. If the government didn't waste all my all their money and spend it on these horrible things, I wouldn't cheat on my taxes. If I wasn't poor, I wouldn't steal. And we see our, our culture, our society blaming everybody but ourselves. If we say we aren't sinning, if we do not acknowledge our sin, got a liar. But he says, confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, I see... I see something that I labeled no-fault repentance. I'm sorry... But, I was wrong, but if, and we really don't take responsibility for our sin. You know, there's two kings in the Bible, actually the first two kings of Israel, both of them anointed by Samuel according to God's direction. King Saul and King David. And if you're uh, familiar with the account of the Old Testament, you know that King Saul, he started out really doing well. But there was a time that, that he became... You might say more important than God. They were going into battle, and and he had called Samuel to come and make a a, a sacrifice to to so that God would help them in the battle. And Samuel was delayed and, and finally Saul disobeyed God's command according to sacrifices, and he committed this and he made the sacrifice. And then, there was later on in a battle, God had instructed Saul to not take any of the war, and he did. And Samuel came to him in First Samuel chapter 15 and confronted him with what he had done. And Saul's response was, I have sinned because I was afraid of the people. See, it really, it wasn't me. It was really because the people's fault. That's the reason I disobeyed. And then later on, as Samuel is talking to him, Saul finally says, I have sinned, yet honor me before Israel. See, Saul would take responsibility for his sin. He never would. And in his... Uh, I guess that's where I come up with the no-fault repentance. He he was sorry, but it really wasn't his fault. Now there was another king, King David. King David committed adultery with a married woman. She got pregnant. So he was in a little bit of a... And finally, to shorten the story, this husband was a soldier. And when he sent him to war, David told the commander, make sure he doesn't come back. And so he, along with a number of the other soldiers, were put in a position where they would be killed. So we have an adulterer and a murderer. And when the prophet confronts him, David repented. He still suffered the consequences. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And he took full responsibility for his sin. It's interesting, God tore the kingdom away from the man that committed a sacrifice against God's direction and kept some of the spoils of war which oftentimes God allowed. But God said this adulterer and murderer was a man after my own heart. See, all have. We're all guilty. I'm chief among us. But God's blood, Jesus' blood, cleanses us from all sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? What are you doing about it? You know, when Jesus ascended to heaven, that glorified body still bore the scars of the cross. I don't know The Bible says there's no tears in heaven. But when I meet Jesus, and I see those scars in his head from the crown of thorns, and I see those scars in his wrists and his feet from those nails, I see that scar on his side with that sword, Ripped through his flesh. And I know he did it for me. I don't know how he won't cry. Out of gratitude. For what he has done. Do you believe it? What are you doing about it? We're going to close with a song. I'm going to pray and the worship team is going to come up. And after this. Oh, your blood, Jesus. Do we believe it? Does our life reflect it? Are we living in the light Lord, you came not only to redeem us in eternity, you came to redeem us from the life living in darkness. Lord, could you make that real to each one of us this morning? I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.